we going to get this thing started? Are we going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do it. You know why we're going to do it? Because this, 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 this won't hurt a bit. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back. You didn't think you were going to get rid of us after just two episodes. No, no. We're doing a third. We're very excited about this one. We're calling it Voices and Wonderlands. And at the end, as usual, as always, as we have done two times before, we'll have a discussion at the end. What did you want to ask me? So, Josh. Josh, Josh, my friend Josh. So that's Josh. He's one of our producers and sound designers on our medical program. And I got uh, Josh and I sat him down and I said, Josh, uh, tell us about yourself. Uh, Tell us what you do on the medical program. And then you can tell us about what we're going to be doing with this Nelly Belay piece that you did on that program called EM Rap a number of months ago. My job is to put in funny jokes. That's what I do. I would say it's a bit more than that, don't you? You're a sound designer, you produce soundscapes, you're using audio to produce a feeling, a sensation, an aroma even, around these pieces. That's correct. That, all that, and then and then I put in, put in the jokes. Excellent. With silly voices. Now, for this piece, Josh, on one of the medical shows, we talked about mental health, and you came up with a story, a fascinating historical story, about a lady called Nellie Bly. Can you tell us anything about it before we start at the story? Because we don't want to give it away. You, you sound designed a beautiful piece. Oh, thank you. This lady. No, I'm not going to give anything away, but she was one of the first investigative journalists back in the 1800s, before there were investigative journalists. So she's amazing because she was a woman, she was a journalist, and she was one of the first investigative journalists. That is, she didn't just report on the news, she went and sought out the real story. All right, let's uh, roll the show. Let's do it. New York City, 1887. The Brooklyn Bridge is four years old. The Statue of Liberty has just turned one, and electricity is still a baby. It's September as a desperate out-of-work journalist walks into the prestigious offices of Joseph Pulitzer's New York World newspaper and talks her way into a job that would eventually make her career. That journalist was 23-year-old Nellie Bly, and her first assignment was to investigate reports of patient abuse at the Blackwell's Island Insane Asylum. To do so meant pretending to be crazy and then getting herself committed. If you're from New York wondering where the hell Blackwell's Island is, well, it's now called Roosevelt Island, and it's got a Starbucks and a thriving Jewish community. Scott the Barista is a real mensch. Anyway, back to 1887 and Nellie Bly. The plan was to infiltrate the asylum and spend 10 days observing and investigating whether rumors of abuse were true. When she asked her editor how they would get her out, she recalls him saying, quote, I do not know, but we will get you out if we have to tell who you are and for what purpose you feigned insanity. Only get in. Turns out it was relatively easy to get committed in 1887. All you had to do was get someone in a position of mild authority like a policeman to think you are crazy and then let the riptide of confirmation bias surrounding mental illness whisk you away through the legal and healthcare systems and into the inescapable whirlpool of an insane asylum. As Bly notes later, I began to have more confidence in my own ability now since one judge, one doctor, and a mass of people had pronounced me insane. The Asylum a facility designed to take care of the mentally ill, but in this case, staffed by people who delighted in abusing them. Here's how Bly recounts her initial arrival. What is this place? I asked of the man who had his fingers sunk into the flesh of my arm. Blackwell's Island, an insane place where you'll never get out of. Bly soon discovered that the situation was worse than what was rumored. To paint a picture, let's imagine the baseline. September in New York can get a little chilly, especially on an island in the middle of the East River in a place where all the windows are open. And now, imagine you're only allowed essentially a crappy nightgown with no blankets. And then imagine taking a cold shower in the morning after a night of shivering while the staff of course walks around in warm jackets. And it got worse from there. It ranged from willful neglect to physical abuse and mental abuse. 
Healthy patients were forced to share towels and bath water with sick patients that had open sores and facial eruptions. They were given only cold, almost inedible food to eat, and they were used as a cleaning crew that you don't have to pay. Patients were teased, and violent patients were incited to act up. Soon after my advent, a girl called Urena Littlepage was brought in. She was, as she had been born, silly, and her tender spot, as with many sensible women, was her age. She claimed 18, and would grow very angry if told to the contrary. The nurses were not long in finding this out, and then they teased her. Urena, said Miss Grady, the doctors say that you're 33 instead of 18. And the other nurses laughed. They kept this up until the simple creature began to yell and cry, saying she wanted to go home, and that everybody treated her badly. And after they had gotten all of the amusement out of her that they wanted, and she was crying, they began to scold her and tell her to keep quiet. She grew more hysterical every moment, until they pounced upon her and slapped her face and knocked her head in a lively fashion. Well, this made the poor creature cry even more. And so they choked her. Yes, they actually choked her. Then they dragged her out to the closet, and I heard the terrified cries hush into smothered ones. After several hours' absence, she returned to the sitting room, and I plainly saw the marks of their fingers on her throat for the entire day. But perhaps the worst abuse, worse than the constant cold or horrible food, worse than being made an indentured servant and being teased and beat up, the worst psychological torture was the hopeless knowledge that there was no way out, even if you were completely sane. Many of the other women she met at the asylum had been sent there for reasons that had nothing to do with mental health, like being poor or not being able to speak English. In fact, nobody cared what you said, even if you did speak English. From the moment I entered the insane ward on the island, I made no attempt to keep up the assumed role of insanity. I talked and acted just as I do in ordinary life. Yet strange to say, the more sanely I talked and acted, the crazier I was thought to be. Luckily, in Bly's case, she had people on the outside who busted her out by posing as friends wanting to take care of their poor sick Nellie at home. So they released her. Ultimately, Nellie Bly's expose led to a grand jury investigation and some changes to the facility, though there was the usual blame-shifting, denials, and hasty cover-ups. At the very least, Bly's story gave the public a glimpse of how bad the women in this, quote, mental health facility were being treated. Nellie Bly started one of the first of many conversations which have led to intervention, reform, and most importantly, a change in how we perceive people afflicted with mental illness. So, while many of us may look back at the late 1880s and smugly say, man, we were messed up back then. No surgical masks, no gloves, no reboa, and a staggering lack of compassion for people with mental illness. Thank God those times are over. We're so enlightened now. Instead, maybe what we should be doing is looking to the future. We're probably doing a bunch of things wrong now. What can we improve about the treatment of the mentally ill today? Because if hindsight is 2020, then foresight is like 2500 or something. It's it, or like having a horrible astigmatism. So maybe the best we can do is to stay compassionate, provide the best care we can, and hopefully we won't be judged too harshly by future generations. Oh, past generations you are. So what's the word? Old-fashioned. That's the word. Well, before we get into our discussion this uh, session, let's tell you another story. This story is a hundred years after Nellie Bly, but it's still very interesting. It's the 1970s in rural Australia. Hot, dry, isolated, the country is in a recession and still reeling from the dissolution of the government by the Queen of England a few years before. Yeah, she could do that back then. 
but that's another story. But for a 12-year-old kid growing up on a huge farm with four brothers and sisters, life seems pretty good. There are kangaroos, snakes, lots of them, very venomous spiders, and enormous amounts of room to get lost in and to explore. The radio blares with Abba's Fernando. There was something in the air at night, the stars were bright. And Cold Chisel's classic album is just around the corner. At 12, you can do and you can imagine anything. Life is good. But then it begins. Slowly at first, barely perceptible. Something was wrong. The world was changing. I mean, it was really changing. In size, in shape, even in time. Things, once small, were becoming big. Huge, in fact. Things that were once slow-moving are now travelling at incredible speeds. And the world would get distant, like looking down a long tunnel. Then it would all snap back to normal in an instant. Now this kid is reasonably intelligent. He knows that what is happening is not normal. It's not right. And he even knows it's not real. But it happens again. This time he is sick. He has a fever. His mother comes and sits on the corner of his bed to comfort him. But she seems so big, so frighteningly big. And when she puts her hand on his forehead and strokes it, he pleads with her to stop. It's too fast, too fast. Everything is too fast. Then she recedes down one of those long tunnels and he seems to be in a different world. Then without warning, he starts to grow. Or more accurately, his arms start to grow. They seem so long he can touch the wall on the other side of the room, over 20 feet away. And then it stops. He tells his parents, and they're obviously concerned. They take him to a variety of doctors, because it keeps happening, and it's really frightening. And after much discussion and closed doors and whispers, the answer is always the same. Being a kid can be stressful. If everything is okay at school and at home, could he have access to drugs? With the answer to all these questions, no, because everything is fine. Then the answer is clear. This kid is losing it. Maybe a psychiatrist could help. You see, the things that he is describing, well, they just don't happen. Not without powerful drugs like LSD. And since there is no evidence of drug use, this kid is a classic case. And not too many years before, he would have ended up in a sanatorium. Little did the boy know, he was not the only one. Over 20 years before, a young girl described her changing world. I keep getting this feeling that I'm getting smaller, shrinking up completely. At around the same time, a young 24-year-old housewife says, Well, well, so what happens is, is that, well, I don't know, it's kind of like the ground comes up and I, I go down or vice versa, so that sometimes I feel like I'm six inches tall or, or 12 feet, and then, and then quite suddenly everything seems really strange and people's voices become very faint and I feel my head is dividing into two and one's large and one's quite small and on it goes. It's very strange. And there are numerous other people who have experienced the same thing. And in 1955, a neurologist by the name of J. Todd from Yorks, England, published a paper on them. In this paper, he documented a series of people, both young and not so young, with the same symptoms. He postulated, and it is now well accepted, that most of these people were suffering from a form of migraine, or epilepsy, and sometimes even a brain infection. Dr. Todd is generally accepted as the first to have called this Alice in Wonderland syndrome. 
Lewis Carroll's book, Alice in Wonderland, would become one of the most famous children's books of all time. In 1955, Dr. Todd wrote why he called this mysterious disorder after the famous character in the Lewis Carroll book. Not only because it is germane as a descriptive term, but also as it has the merit of drawing attention to the fact that Lewis Carroll himself suffered from migraine. It will be remembered that Alice, in her dreams, sometimes became remarkably tall or remarkably short. The revelation that Lewis Carroll suffered from migraine arouses the suspicion that Alice trod the paths and byways of a wonderland well known to her creator. It turns out that three years before, another physician from San Francisco, Caro Lipman, made the same observations in his own series of case descriptions very similar to Dr. Todd's, and he coined the same term. It is not known if the two doctors were aware of each other's work at the time. But what about a young man from Australia? Well, by now, many of you worked out that that young man was actually me. I suffered from this syndrome for years, but told only my family. I was afraid people would think me crazy. Years later, after the attacks went away, as mysterious as they came, I would be in medical school. I remember explaining my childhood symptoms to the head of neurology. I still didn't know what they were. And he looked at me in a very compassionate but quizzical manner and said he had no idea what those symptoms could have been. But years later, at a dinner, with a doctor friend of mine, she was telling us about a lecture she was giving the next day on pediatric headaches to a large convention of physicians. I had been doing a lecture on headaches and neural complaints for for ASAP. That's the American College of Emergency Physicians, and they have a big, big conference once a year. And I had discovered this great diagnosis that I had known a little bit about but got to learn more, which is Alice in Wonderland Syndrome which is this phenomenon that kids have, and a lot of them will grow up, and they, it's like a migraine variant. A lot of them grow up and have like regular migraines when they're adults. Basically, it is kind of visual hallucinations that these kids get with or without a headache, and uh, they see things, things grow large, things grow small, and it really is kind of, they call it the Alice in Wonderland syndrome because of her being in a room, and the room is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and some things get bigger, and that's what these kids who have it see and visualize. There's apparently a, a time warp that time seems to speed up, Time seems to slow down. So I was learning about this, and the story gets even better. And then we jump a few weeks later, and I'm at ASAP with you and your wife, Mary, and we're having dinner, and I'm talking about my lectures, and you're talking about your lectures, and I mentioned Alice in Wonderland, and I think Mary turned to you and said, that's what you had, Mel, growing up. You see, my friend Mo's pretty smart. She even remembered this fact. This is over a decade ago that this occurred. I think your mom called them the fasty slows, or you Mm -hmm. did? Because of the, sp- the time speeding up, time slowing down. That's right. In my house, we called these attacks the fasty slows because we didn't know what the name was and everything seemed fast and then everything seemed slow. Seemed like a good name. That was a great story because I remember then that the next day when I was lecturing at ASAP, I said, if you see Mel Herbert walking around, just say to him, are you having the fasty slows? And, and in fact, a few people did come up to me and ask me that exact question. Never had something like that before, making a diagnosis at, at ASAP so many decades after the patient had, had symptoms. I was totally floored, shocked. My friend Mo had put a name to a disorder that for my entire life had been a mystery to me. A mystery that made people think I was a little crazy. Now here, in this place, over beers and chicken wings, it had been solved. I was so excited, joyous even. It was remarkable. It made me wonder how many other people, kids in particular, have had a similar experience. How many have suffered thinking that they too were crazy, losing it, coming undone? And not just this well-described disorder, 
but any of the myriad conditions that seem to the outsider impossible. What about all the other diseases that make people worry for their sanity because we could not put a name to it or we were simply not smart enough to recognise it was a medical problem that already had a name? In medicine, we have a history of being wrong, of calling things safe when they were not, like cigarettes or thalidomide, of calling people crazy when they were not, of trying to cure people of diseases that needed no curing. But modern medicine is amazing. The practitioners of the art are remarkable. Treatments like vaccinations and antibiotics has helped us crush the worst of the suffering of the Middle Ages. But there is still so much left to know. So much left to discover. So take a second before you roll your eyes at the crazy ones. Because maybe, just maybe, they're not as crazy as you think. So here we go, Jess Mill and Dave talking about Lewis Carroll, talking about the book Alice in Wonderland and some theories about uh, why that book occurred. And one of the theories on the intranets was that it was actually a description of schizophrenia, a disorder that we are actually going to talk about in an upcoming This Won't Hurt a Bit. And some people said, and also because he was doing, you know, mescaline oh, hmm. or something else. Yeah. I haven't heard the schizophrenia one, but hey, if it's on the internet... It's got to be, be true. It's got to be true. Well, I'm sure it was like someone's graduate paper. It's, you know, you got to come up with ideas in order to graduate. And so you just like latch onto something and you just go. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I can think of no other illness that has a more fascinating name than Alice in, Wonder- Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Yeah. It's such a, I mean, and it sounds so harmless too. And it's obviously not. Really? But it doesn't sound harmless to me. Really? Yeah. Alice in Wonderland as a kid scared the crap out yeah. of me. Yeah. It was like, oh, oh I my it. God, I, she can't get out. Everybody's bizarre. She's I just, weird I stuff. hated it. Yeah. I hated it. Talking So much of that classic animals. literature is like that. Scary. I liked that, it. That doesn't sound like fun to me. I found it. Whatever but, Alice in Wonderland syndrome is, that's not fun at all. I thought it was fascinating, but I grew up with dummies staring at me at night and I thought that was okay too, so... I was cool with that. (laughs) (laughs) My ventriloquist dummy. Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, the first time I came over to your house and I spent the night, I was like... Okay, let's not talk about that. I'm just going to go go as far as, can you please take the dummies off the shelf (laughs) and the wall? They're all staring at us and it's really weird. Creeping me out. Oh, geez. Yeah, I want to hear about that story another time. (laughs) Okay, so I want to know, like, how real were the visions that you saw and the auditory hallucinations? Did you interact with them, or were you at some point when you saw them, you were were sort of in a state of mind that I know some of this isn't real, so I'm just going to let it happen, or was it just full-blown, like, these are my friends, or... So I didn't have um, auditory hallucinations. Auditory hallucinations goes with more things like schizophrenia, like uh, stuff. So I just had perceptual issues. So things, time seemed to be going fast, time seemed to be going slow. Hands seemed to be really big. I seemed to be shrinking. Tunnel vision, that was the one that I had the most of, which is just like in the movies. You're standing there and then the whole world goes, and you're you feel like you're at the back of the little tiny tunnel. Um, I knew they weren't real, and that's part of the diagnosis of Alice in Wonderland syndrome is that the person recognizes this isn't really happening. It just feels like it's happening. And that's the difference between being psychotic, which is loss of reality testing. You, When you're psychotic, 
you really think that you're Jesus Christ. Uh, you really think these things are happening. You really think the aliens are putting you know yeah. uh, messages to you. When you have a perceptional perception issue like this, you know it's not happening. It still can be quite disturbing, but you know this isn't real. So I had it when I first few times I had it, I was freaked out because as a kid, I was like, what the hell's going on? Maybe I'm going crazy. Maybe I'm not. But then after a while, you realize it's not real. So you don't think you're going crazy. Hmm. So how old were you when it started affecting you and then when it kind of stopped? wore off? Um, I was probably around 10 when it started and then it lasted for a few years. Maybe I was younger. It's hard to remember back that far because it's a but long time But you were ago. obviously old enough to have the insight that you knew, oh, my God, this is crazy. This isn't right. So, you, I mean, you were old enough to have that insight. Right. Um so, yeah, somewhere around that age, and it lasted for a few years, and we never found out what it was. And, in fact, what's weird, and I haven't heard this described, and I haven't been on the – there's a, a whole websites and stuff uh, for patients who have Alice in Wonderland syndrome. What do they call those things when you get together and you talk to each other? Blogs? Uh, Boltons? Uh, yeah, those. Um, uh, chat rooms? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going into uh, the 90s. Uh, um. Facebook? Uh, sweet. Anyway, there's these places you can go to. Well, I could actually induce them. So uh, I could induce that feeling, particularly of the tunnel vision thing. So I remember mowing the lawn as a kid and maybe I felt it coming, but it felt my recollection is that I could induce it every now and then. Like I want to feel that sensation like I'm getting sucked down a hole and it would happen. But maybe what was happening was that I already had sort of the aura. I was already beginning to feel it and then I could control it a little bit. I don't know. I probably have a superpower is what I'm telling you. Yeah, I I'm, think well, so. As soon as you say I'm, you can I'm induce it, now yeah. that becomes superpower. Yeah. It's like, you know, having a, the superpower of disordered uh, perception is kind of like the superpower of turning things lukewarm. Not particularly helpful. <laughs> I don't know. If I could make people like small in my head, I feel like I have more confidence. I could walk into a room and be like, okay, maybe. hey, little suckers. <laughs> So does it go away with age or do just some people have, because you're saying Lewis Carroll might have had it Um, when he's adult? A a lot of these people are young and a lot of migraines will go get less with age for some people. So uh, it does seem to go away. It doesn't seem to be a lifelong issue for lots of people. So I'm a pretty classic case of having it and then it going away because I never actually got the headaches with it, which was the weird thing. I just got the distorted reality. Now, I had this other thing which I just self-diagnosed a little while ago, which was I used to have incredibly bad abdominal pain and I would be buckled up on the couch, not able to move, couldn't stretch out and was, and I had that for years around the same time and I didn't know what it was. Nobody worked out what it was. If, you, if I saw a patient like that, I'd say they'd have peritonitis. That means they've got a big inflammation inside their belly, like they've got a perforated appendix mm. because you just couldn't move. And when you moved, it was like, ah! That was probably abdominal migraine. It was another migraine variant what? where you've right. got this perception that your your guts are going to explode. It's all up in your brain. Okay, so my, migraine do- doesn't mean head or brain, obviously, now. Well, migraine <laughs> means... <laughs> this is what I'm learning. Yeah, I know. When you grew up... Uh, even in medical school, I'm like, migraine equals headache. Yeah. Well, you can have migraine without headache, <laughs> migraine with headache, migraine with uh, classic symptoms, which is people get visual disturbances and uh, auras and flashing lights. You can have migraine with that, migraine without that. You can have abdominal migraine. You can have hemiplegic migraine, which is you wake up or you're walking around and then you can't move half your body. And you're like, I just had a stroke. And then it gets better. Huh. And you can have these migraine variants where you go blind where the person's there, standing there, and they go, I can't see a damn thing. And you think, of course, I'm having a stroke, and it goes away. So migraine's a really strange disorder, and it's probably... Okay, so what's migraine mean? 
What's the word? Uh, it's from the French. Uh, give yeah. me some more coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm super curious because I always thought migraine would just meant bad headache, like yeah. worse headache, right. atomic headache. And actually, there is this very famous neurologist that said the definition of migraine is severe recurrent headaches. Don't make it any more complicated than that. If you have severe recurrent headaches, you can call it migraine because all of the medicines and stuff we use for migraine work about the same, whether you've got the auras or not the auras. But the fact that there are so many non-headache parts of migraine mm -hmm. is fascinating. Yeah, it's crazy. And so we're going to have to interview a migraine expert about it because I'm sure that there's lots of MRI studies and all these other things. It's like, what the hell is going on? With I think you've brain? also just opened up a Pandora's box for like the Tylenol marketing company because mm -hmm. now there's going to be more boxes of like migraine arm pill. Like, <laughs> Does your arm really it's hurt right. you? And it's going to be like some picture of an arm, arm with migraine. a lightning right. bolt. And it's like every bizarre, tidy little thing that's ever happened to you will now be a migraine variant so that they can sell some more drugs. That's what You're I'm, a cynical, sad, sad man. I'm just going to start saying migraine for everything. So did you ever develop migraine headaches nope. or it just completely went away? It went away. I never developed migraine headaches. So classically, again, you might have these things and then you would develop a headache an hour later, 15 minutes later, 20 minutes later, or later in adult life, you would develop the headaches. I never got any of that. So I just had the bizarre sensory stuff without the headaches. When did you find out? I think you said in the... In the show. I Yeah, yeah I was... It was a friend of yours who... A friend of mine's a doc and we're just sitting around and she was about to give a talk at a big meeting about uh, headaches in kids. She goes, and there's this bizarre thing. You'll never believe this, Mel, and friends, as we're sitting around. These kids get this Alice in Wonderland syndrome where they have these bizarre distortions, blah, 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 and it can happen with headache or without headache. I'm like... That's when the camera Holy zoomed crap. out and you got, like, smaller. And, then <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like... It all makes sense. Finally, the diagnosis is made wow. over chi literally chicken wings and beer nice. 40 years after it. It's the wow. best way to make any diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that would be better if they're buffalo wings. Crazy. <laughs> this is going to come up in this program a lot. We're going to start talking about it. We're going to realize we need to talk to some experts and go further and go deeper because it's just so interesting. And it's not a cynical way to make you listen to the next podcast. Yes, it is. It's not. It's just the way that it happens. Yes, it is. It's a cynical way of making you listen. No, it's not. It's just that things come up. All is right. Schizophrenia. <laughs> It's like you were throwing your voice there. Yeah, did you like that? It's pretty, pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. good. Are there varying degrees of intense? Like, do do some people Why? do you... get the audio hallucinations and visual? Like, I just saw the rabbit, or I just saw the mocking turtle, or is it just just a like you said, just sort of an augmented perception? perception. Yeah, classic Alice in Wonderland syndrome is just perceptional perception okay. disorder, not a hallucination disorder. Okay. If you're doing you know, LSD, masculine, okay. a variety of other street drugs, you'll see the pink rabbit that's 400 feet tall and it's coming to eat you, um, but not in Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Okay. Because I, I, when I was younger, I used to have crazy hallucinations um, when I had ever a fever. As soon as my fever mm -hmm. got to like 100, it was done. Like my world was insanely intense. And my, my mom and dad had to like hold me down because I was seeing really weird stuff. And I remember all my hallucinations this day. Please explain. Which one? The, the, all hallucinations? Yeah, just the big, <laughs> the big one. Oh, the one, one of them I had was um, we had this little couch and it was a fold out. And I forget how old I I must have been like six or seven. Or, yeah, yeah, about seven. And I was in the bedroom, in that room, 
um, just sick, big fever. My mom comes and take care of me. And all of a sudden, the whole room turns into dripping dungeon, like moist, dripping dungeon. Chains kind of rattling on the wall. Uh, the, the bed, the couch bed, fold-out bed I was on, starts to tip up. And you know that little hole behind the couch where the that where the space where the bed folds into <laughs> yes. that space yeah. it becomes like neon blue mm-hmm. and bodies start dropping past me going into this like neon blue goo. I'm holding on to the bed for dear life because I feel like it's trying to get me into the blue goo. My mom comes in and she's doing her best to like no it's nothing you're okay I've got a hold of you but my mom looks looks like this evil dungeon master troll person and she's trying to push me instead of hold me and I was flipping out and that lasted for a pretty long time like or in my head it did um and then I just seemed to get better over it what kind of movies did your parents but I wasn't watch? watching a lot of movies it was just just weird stuff just as an aside just yeah. to be clarified your mom's not a troll, right? No, yeah. No, no, <laughs> no. no, just an ogre. She, 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 she's a lovely woman. Yeah, I mean, Love there was all sorts of stuff like that. Like, I remember time I was sick and we had this dog and um, I looked down the hallway and I saw giant, giant clock gears in all different sizes mm-hmm. uh, and colors just flying down the hallway running over my dog. And I go running down the, the hallway, jumped on my dog, and I was like, I'll protect you, I'll protect you. And I was screaming, and I was trying to knock him out of the way, and my parents came down and said, oh, it's another fever. And it's just so many weird ones. And, and then it just eventually went away. I stopped having hallucinations with fevers. Yeah, it's called delirium. Um, and you, you see it a lot in the hospitals. So, and that's, yeah, that's disordered perception but it's also hallucinations and it's often visual more than auditory auditory hallucinations tend to be schizophrenia visual hallucinations tend to be you're sick with something bad and your fever's high and that's on the tests every every time we oh. have a test in the medical <laughs> um and that's really common my i remember my sister having that so i shared a room with my sister a little bit when we were little and she got a high fever and she had pneumonia and she was screaming because Elvis Presley and uh, all these other people were coming through the walls trying to kill her. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with my sister? And my mom's patting her head and she's screaming, there's monsters. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. And that was freaky. So that's um, not uncommon, particularly in little kids. But then it, then it happens again when you're old. It's sad. In the nursing home, grandma gets pneumonia and she starts seeing freaky things and screaming and running around naked and throwing stuff at people. It's oh, good times. Okay. Did you do that? <laughs> no, not yet, well, but I'll be ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> and usually it goes away when the infection goes away and the fever comes down. You're like, oh, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I have to look forward to that. So do I. So I better get a good uh, playlist going on on iTunes just for like when it starts happening and the monsters start showing up. Mm-hmm. I can get some rock and roll going and try and to fight them. really amplify it. <laughs> no, no, Dave. That would be a very bad idea. Usually what we do for these patients is try and get their fever down, treat the underlying problem and put them in a calm environment until it all resolves. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I hope you're enjoying the show. We're really liking putting it together. Are you getting a sense of it, a feel for it? We're trying to. We do some stories and then we do some discussion and we're trying to make it interesting and we're really looking forward to your input. The easiest way to contact us is info at foolyboo.org. That's F-O-O-L-Y-B-O-O.org. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, coming up on future episodes of This One Hurt A Bit, we're going to be doing a session on death and dying. I know, I know, it sounds depressing, but it's not, it's not. It's pretty actually amazing and inspiring. We're going to be doing an episode called Up in Smoke. Yes, you can imagine what that puppy's about. We're going to be talking about the world's fastest people. 
and some people who've survived the most amazing, incredible extremes of environment, from the hot to the coldness. And if you like the podcast, if you like where we're going, if you like what you're hearing, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, go on iTunes, please. Give us a rating, please. Leave us a comment. It helps us because it gives us more exposure. And one day, one day soon, we'll have sponsors and we'll be able to put this out every week. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it will be coming out every two weeks. Thank you for listening. So thanks to Jess Mason, Dave Mason. Thanks to Josh, who sound designed the Nelly Belay piece. This Won't Hurt A Bit is a production of Foolyboo Incorporated. Produced by CeCe Herbert and Bill Connor. The information you hear on This Won't Hurt A Bit should not be taken as actual medical advice. If you have actual medical questions about actual medical things, you should see an actual medical practitioner. Even though we are actually doctors, we're not your actual doctor. So be sensible and keep it real. And this... Oh, this. 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 This.